Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Hadrico Live. I'm your host, Hadrico, and today we are sitting down with two-time Super Bowl champion, Brandon Jacobs. Yes, the juggernaut has came to Hadrico Live to talk about his path to the NFL. And yes, it was not a straight path as most people think. He talks to us about how he did not let people define him on who he is and the player that he was going to be. You want to hear Brandon's story? Don't worry. Tune in as Rodrigo Live starts right now. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Rodrigo Live. Rodrigo Live. Rodrigo Live. Rodrigo 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 Live. Rodrigo Live. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Hadrico Live. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Hadrico Live. And today, we are bringing you a two-time Super Bowl champion. Now, we ain't talking about a runner-up. We're talking about a champion, man. Some people have labeled him the juggernaut. Some people have labeled him the hammer. I mean, six foot four bringing power down the field. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you none other than Brandon Jacobs. Chap, how you doing this afternoon, man? Man, like I'm doing pretty good, man. It's getting hot down here in Georgia. I, mean, I just finished walking my dog, and now I'm pressure washing the concrete. You know, because you know, I got a big outing coming up this weekend, some ball crawfish, and you know, stuff with some friends, man. So I'm trying to clean up the backyard. So crawfish. So let me know what time so I can get on the first. Day. I mean, I'm here in Vegas, but you know, the, the airport it's, it stay flying. I love me some crawfish. So I live yeah, Adrico will good. travel, man. So, so how, how's life in Georgia treating you, man? How's that? How's that going? It's pretty good, man. Like, you know, Georgia's a cool place. You know, um, you know, I have kids and uh, play sports and, and it's a great place, man. I mean, it's, it's friendly here, uh, especially where I live. It's real friendly. Um, I like it. I like it. I, I, you know, I would like to be in Florida uh, and like Boca or somewhere like that or Tampa area, something like that. But Georgia's good. So life after football don't got you to Georgia. You're kind of getting the coaching aspect going. I see you kind of got some things going, but you're just kind of settling, living that good life, enjoying life after going through quite a few years of taking and delivering quite a bit of punishment. Well, man, my body, you know, it's doing, it's doing good, man. You know, I, I get out, I work with the kids, show them examples, you know. Sometimes, you know, I play basketball weekly. Um, you know, not as much as I, I, I would like to, you know, but right now I'm doing good. You know what I mean? I, I got it going. All right. So, you know, one thing when I first saw you, so just in case for y'all to know, uh, this Saturday, excuse me, this Sunday, I was in Los Angeles for a rivals event for my son and coach Jacobs was out there and you would think he was still playing and you see the passion when he's coaching kids. It was the same passion you saw on Sundays. He was just as fiery as he was back when he was playing for the Giants and when he was out there coaching these kids. So you can see that football is something that you've been passionate about back when you lived back back in them days in Napoleonville, Louisiana, that that passion never really went away from you. What really drew you to football back when you was a kid back back in Louisiana? So, man, you know, I had uh, two cousins, uh, Chad and Ethan. Um, they was, you know, my aunt was taking them. It was right before I moved in with her, but she was taking them to go play football. Um, yeah, you know, at this program, uh, the Bayou of Saints, it was. And, uh, and I moved in at the same time, but she put me in too. I didn't really like it. You know, it wasn't something really I, I wanted to do. I didn't really, you know, I could have been like, I would have been good without it too, you know, but, uh, she put me in. 
pretty good at it. First time I touched the ball, I took, you know, I took, I, I took it to the house. Okay. First time I outside 80 yards. And from that point forward, I thought that I knew going forward that, okay, this is easy. It was real easy for me. You know what I mean? It's just one of the things that's like, dang, I'm all, all right. I'm, I'm going to go sit down. So I'm going to go score right now and then I'm going to sit down. So you, like, you knew early, look, just give me the ball, get out of the way, let me score, yeah. and let me get some of this good Gatorade, man. You know, back- Now, most people get this idea of when you play football, you play well, you do good, you go to the NFL, you had it easy. All you had to do was play football and you got to that standpoint. One thing about your story that I don't even know if most people know, you did not have the normal trajectory to get to the league. Your travels to get to the Giants drafting you went through quite a few I won't say road bumps or speed bumps. It went through a different stops. You came out of high school, highly touted. Tommy Tuberville offered you a scholarship to go to Auburn. Now, I know you was an LSU fan, but you had an offer to go to Auburn. You wanted to go, but due to some other situations, some academics, that's why we always tell these kids, student athletes, they think it's a game until it becomes real. And I think you are a great example of knowing how important it is. How much of a, a blow was it to you when you couldn't go to Auburn like you wanted to and you had to take the alternative route by going to Coffee Field. Well, you know, uh, it was a blow. It was a blow, and I'm gonna tell you why I think it was. A, it was a blow. Um, I might have came out on top at the end. Um, I would have also had a fair opportunity to compete with Ronnie Brown, like Williams, giving them being there before me because I had to go to junior college, but I have the grades. Number one blow, right? So. Auburn helped me make like Auburn helped me get eligible by sending me to junior college. Jake joined, you know, junior college conference there accepted me. So I went, got my academic straight, played for two seasons there. That's two years of eligibility of big, you know, power five school, gone. Just mm-hmm. like that. You know, so having to do that and not get my stuff together beforehand, man, it, it was a huge blow. Now I ended up getting drafted in the fourth round, you know, blessing for that. You know, got drafted in the fourth. Uh Went through backup, second year backup, goal line, third down type situation, third year, Tiki Lees, I'm starting. Here we go. So going through that, and now this is one thing I want to highlight because a lot of young men, they get this mindset that, okay, I go to this school, I start, I'm the guy. You went through adversity. You had to be resilient because naturally, I mean, when you was in high school, you was running over everybody. You had all these magical yards. Even when you went to Auburn, you had a game against Mississippi State after that game, you should have been the man. I mean, you look at the numbers you put up. It was, let me see. I got a 31 carries for a buck 82. It was your time to shine. But still, you had to go through the political side of you still got Ronnie Brown and Cadillac. Now, you made probably one of the toughest decisions a young man would make. You left a power five school. I mean, a program like Auburn went down to a, a, a division one double A school, still was able to perform. Still was able to get to get drafted. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't think y'all understand. This is not your normal path. Then you go to the Giants and you got Tiki Barber. I mean, it's it's Tiki time. This guy's the resilient. He plays every every down. I don't even think Tiki ever came out. So how do you keep your mindset to saying that I'm still as good as I know I am? I still can contribute. I still can be the player that I want to be when you're still not getting the chance that you feel you deserve. So. Let me tell you what, what kind of brought that on. Um, so, I was, so I was at Auburn, and we I went through the first season. I had some good numbers. I think I had like uh, like 60, 61, 62 carries, 63 carries, um, with like 466 yards or something like that it was. Uh, 
I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. I had a couple of touchdowns in there. So, um, you know, we were sitting back, you know, because Cadillac had a great season. Mm-hmm. Going to leave his junior year, you know, and he, he didn't leave. So then I was in turn, I was the third option for us, you know, might have been the fourth option on the day they used Trey Smith, you know. So I I just, you know, hung in there. And, and so when Cadillac didn't leave, I started looking to transfer, the, you know, that spring of 2004. And uh, I ended up going to junior college. Well, let's go back. So I ended up looking at a mock draft. It was a mock draft that had came out with our draft class. And it had me going number 31 to Pittsburgh. On this particular mock draft, I don't know who mock draft it was, and I saw that, and I was like, man, that's first, that's that's a first round grade, and I, I was playing behind these boys. I had four hundred something, you know, I had four hundred sixty six, you know, I have the yardage, you know? and they still had me up on that draft board like that. So I was like, okay, so now I'm out there now. Now somebody knows, somebody know who I am you know, on this draft board, you know, with all these other players throughout all these other schools. I'm gonna transfer to a small school. That's what as I started in Illinois came in. Ended up going there with Coach Saya, who coached me in junior college. He was our defensive coordinator. And were like four or five players I played with in junior college at Cofferfield that also went to Southern Illinois. So I went there with them. Had a, had a blast. You know, still split time. Me and R.T. Whitlock even had Terry Jackson, who transferred in from Minnesota that year. He was there with Marion Barber. And um, he had 1,300 yards the year before that. So they wanted to go with Marion Barber coming up in 2000. I think that, that 2004 season, so he transferred to Southern as well. So it was us three, but you know, it's mainly myself and Whitlock when we taking the carries. And I just, you know, like I said, I went, I played hard. I, I didn't even have a thousand yards. I think I had like 900 and something, 982 or something like that. And RT had like like 960, 970, something of that nature. And we was number one team in the country. We, we did real good. Uh, came, we came up short in the first round of the FCS playoffs in Eastern Washington. Who, um, man, it was just, I think about that. But anyway, but after all that was over, I had an opportunity to, to go um, with my father-in-law. He helped me pick an agent. And I stuck with him. I stuck with him the whole the whole time. He got me invited to the combine. Went running among all the other top players. Had a good time. I, had, I was heavier than all the other running backs. Um, I just wanted to go run a 4-5. I weighed in at 267. I ran a 4-5-6. So that was pretty good. And then I ended up going through the process all these pro days and all these guys come and talk to me. I had um, Cincinnati Bengals came, uh, Cleveland Browns came, and he wanted me to work out in my, you know, for my NFL workout as a tight end. So I'm like, cool, I'm going to give you this. I'm going to work out for you in tight end because I know I can do it. But I'm playing right. I'm a running back. Mm-hmm. You know? So you went through some unique situation, but what I'm not going to allow you to do is just breeze over the fact that you said you're 264 and ran a full five. Like that's just something that every Joe Blue on the side of the street is able to do. I mean, listen, that is some freakish, freakish type athletic ability. It was truly an uh, amazing feat to be able to do. So you said that Cleveland wanted you to be a tight end. I remember when you first, they said when you first stepped on the campus at Coffee, they wanted you to be a lineman. Some people said that you wanted you to be this. Everybody has always tried to label you on what they wanted you to be, but you have maintained your mindset on this is who I am and this is what I'm going to be able to do. Where did you get that from? Where did you get that? And how do you keep that mind frame through all acts, through all adversity, through no matter what nobody else says? How do you keep yourself locked in on who Brandon Jacobs is? Um. Your, you know, your life, 
what you do, what you love, what you, you know, it's your craft. You know what I mean? It's your craft. So me playing running back and me beating on my craft daily to get better, I feel like it would have been a slap. I could have slapped myself in the face for allowing me to think about doing something or playing something else, no matter what was on the line, you know? Um, that's the reason I didn't go to LSU, you know, mm. because, you know, I got two guys, I got three guys actually t- told me, Marcus Spears, we won on court, you know, Mike, Michael Clayton and, uh, and, Cor- and, uh, and Corey Webster. I knew all of them. Went, there was a year older than me. Went on a visit there to a man, don't come here, he's going to change your position. I never gave it a second chance, a second shot. Mm. Even going, I guess what happened, you know, through all of that, you know, Nick Saban there at the time, he changed Corey from a quarterback to a DB. He changed Marcus Spears from a tight end to a defensive end. He changed Michael Clayton from a, uh, a quarterback to a wide receiver. Michael Clayton went first round. Marcus Spears went first round. Corey Webster went second round. At those at that for those positions that Nick Saban. So every time I sit and I think about man, what would he have changed it to? Man, I'm like, I wonder if I could have went first round from LSU after junior college as a defensive end. So then I just keep on ticking, you know. <laughs> but I you was know, real strong. But you know what? You did well at what you did. And I can't tell you how many fantasy games you have won for me. At that goal line, punching it in, man. You want to win? Put Jacobs in, man. You got, I can't tell you how many people have praised Brandon Jacobs when he went in. The, when that game got close and they got to that goal line, you came in and came through for so many people. So don't worry what Nick would have done. Worry about what you did do because you did a phenomenal job. Yeah, now, one thing you did mention when you were telling your story that I thought was an amazing point. You talked about, you know, I didn't have a thousand yards. I didn't have this many carries. I didn't have that many carries. Talk about the importance of making the most of whatever you do get. Because a lot of these kids, especially young, young high school athletes, some of these college athletes, they chasing numbers. They're chasing reps. They're chasing, I got to get mine. Talk about how important it is just to make the most of whatever you do get. You know, everything, you know, when, when you get that opportunity, um, you never know when it's going to come around again. So you got to take advantage of it, even if, even if it's something that you might not like. You know what I'm saying? So, like, like for me, when when you get a chance, because it ain't it ain't many times you know that you're gonna get a chance. You know, like me sitting in there doing doing exactly what I want to do, play what I want to play. You know, I just worked and worked and worked. You know, and and don't and don't take it for granted. You know, you can't take nothing for granted. You know, it's there one time and it's gone the next time. So you gotta really, you know, when it, you know, if, especially when you got ability, you know, physical ability to do things, take advantage of it. You know, if you want to have that edge, then you work for it. So, you know, don't take life for granted and, and your ability and you as a person, your character, all of that, man. Don't, you know, don't do it. You know, uh, men and women, boys and girls, you know, go that's, get with you. That's facts. Now let's transition. Now you don't, you don't made it to the NFL. You get drafted by the Giants. First off, take me to that moment. You hear somebody say with the four in the fourth round, with the 110th pick, the New York Giants select Brandon Jacobs. What happens? I never even heard that. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I never even heard that. I got drafted on the second day. You know, they had the first the draft with the first three rounds was the first day. Mm-hmm. The next four was the, on that Sunday. And I got a call early on in the fourth round, you know, 
just from the New York, you know, I, I didn't really know because the phone rang. I said, like, New Jersey on the phone or something like that. I'm like, do I answer the phone? Hold on, what's out the phone lines or whatever. You know, you know, it was like, no, I mean, just, I said, all right, just answer it real quick, and, you know, so we can get off the phone, you know. And, you know, answered the phone, and it was my wife now, she gave me the phone, she's like, here, um, this phone's for you. Gave it to me, it was Arnie, it was Arnie Corsi on the other, it was on, it was Arnie Corsi on the phone asking me, you know, hey, how you doing, big guy? You know, we, uh, it's Arnie, it's Arnie Corsi from the New York Giants. Um, what you think about being a giant? I'm like, man, that's rock and roll, I can't wait. I can't wait. I can't wait to get in. You know, like, hey, yeah, we ready. You know, we can't wait to have you and, and come in, and you know, in a few weeks and get ready to work and and let's start the journey. Man, and that's what happened. It was great. I think getting that call was astronomical. Man, it was awesome. Now, yeah, I'm thinking, you know, clean, you know, clog up the phone line. You know? So you're trying to keep the line clear, but you know, Jesus on the main line. He's telling you what you're yeah. doing. You over here worried about yeah. keeping the line clear. The football teams in New Jersey. Me thinking that at the time. <laughs> Who's in New Jersey, man? You over here thinking it's a bill collector. You know how you yeah. know how we get. New Jersey and adjusting on Jersey. So how does that change everything for you? Because you know, most people, when you know, they say when you get to the league, so many things change for you. Did it change who you were as a person? Because now your whole financial future, your family's future, it all changed in a, a blink of an eye. How did that change for you as a person now that you have to not necessarily secure the bag, but you secured your future and your career now as an NFL player. Well, you know, um, it, it comes with discipline, man. You know, I definitely had my time. While, you know, when I played ball and I wanted to go and do stuff, have fun, spend a lot of money, do a lot of things like that. You know, I still had my opportunities. I drove fast cars and did what I had to do. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm in a great place financially. Uh, you know, I... Uh, do good with my money, man, and, and and that's pretty much what it is. You know, when I when we don't live an extravagant life and none of that. Um, you know, I honestly cherish every dollar, every you know that I have, and you know, and, and that I made from playing ball. Because um, I know it's not they don't come by easy, man. But you, you know, getting to the you know to that point, your life changes, you know, drastically. You know, whether you admit it or not, you got to change. You got to change it. You got to you got to change who's around you. You have to change everything, and you know, and along you know along the way to success, you're gonna lose a few people along the way, and you got to be okay with that. You got to be okay with it. That's definitely because you know everybody around you doesn't always wish the best for you. You know they may want something from you, but they may not always wish the best for you. So you mentioned earlier just how good of a player that Tiki Barber was coming in as a rookie. How big was it for you to learn from a guy like that, to learn how to be a professional and learn how to play the running back position on a professional level from a guy like Tiki? I mean, I learned a lot from Tiki, man. Um, Tiki was, you know, great dude, man. Knew the game, knew the media side of it, you know. You know, knew when not to trust somebody a little bit, you know, <laughs> a lot. Uh, you know, it, it was it was a lot of the parts of the game, you know, learning the offense and, you know, him him I had the best running back coach ever, man, uh, Coach Gerald Ingram. So between those two and uh, some of the guys I was in there with before, like, you know, Derek Waters, Mike Cloud, Jimmy Finn at the time, man, it was a great room that was led by Tiki, man, and he did a great job of getting us where we needed to be and, and, and helping me learn, you know, the offense. So you get Tiki for two years and Tiki steps out to retire and then all of a sudden, it is now, finally, there's no more Cadillac, no more Ron, Ronde, no more Tiki, no more Ronnie Brown, no more. It is the Brandon Jacobs show. What's going through your mind now? Well, you know, I, I'm ready for it, you know, of course, because Tiki, you know, said, you know, um, 
toward the end of the season, you know, he was coming up that he didn't know what he was going to do. You know, he wanted to try to take a job in media and, and try to, you know, do more while he was younger. You know, um, he ended up having 1,800 yards that year, man. And I asked him, like, I, I asked him, like, yo, T, you sure you want to be done? You sure you want to retire? He was like, Brandon, oh, I'm good. Uh, yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready to spend time with my kids and do stuff. You know, it's been 10 years. You know, that's, that's cool. You know, I said, but you just rushed for 1,800 yards, man. You just rushed for 18 this year. Like, you sure? I'm like, I'm sure. And he says, all, it's all you, big boy. And me, Derek Ward, and at the time, Ruben, Brown, uh, uh, Ruben Jones well, competed for the job. I came out with it and ended up winning the Super Bowl that year. Now, take me yeah. there. You, you win a Super Bowl. We rushed for 1,000. We, we drafted a young Amon Bradshaw his rookie year. That, that he gets better along the way, get hot in the playoffs. And, um, you know, we, you know, we go and win the Super Bowl. And I start for maybe three, four years, and then Amon had it, and that was it. So you win a Super Bowl. Tell me, t- take me through that. Now, I know there was a joy of getting drafted. There's a joy of running somebody over. Give me the joy of winning the Super Bowl, man. I mean, that's for all us football fans. That's the, that's the mecca. Even as a fan, man. Look, when I like I like Tampa Bay before Tom Brady. I got to make sure I put that out there. When when they won the Super Bowl, I was out here crying like I just like I just ran a sprint sometime during the yeah. spring. So I can only imagine what it felt like for you as a player to win the Super. What's that feeling? Oh man, it was it was a it was an experience. I just don't know really. T, I don't really know if I could explain it to you. I don't really know <laughs> if I can give it to you. Like you need, you know, like you need to receive it. But man, it was for me. What I ended up doing, man, was like when we finally won and I went and sat down on the bench. Um, my wife was running around the field looking for me. Where, you know, you know, with my firstborn son, <laughs> she was running around the field looking for me. And then and we ended up coming to each other. I just sat down on the bench and just watched everybody run around. That's why you don't see me in many of those videos. Okay. That's what I did. I went and I sat down on a bench and just watched everybody. I did that for like five minutes, six minutes. And then I went and walked around and I saw my wife. So you were just taking it all in. You were just like basking in the glory. Took it all in, yep. So now that's what happened the first time. But see, not like two chains. You got two rings. What Mm -hmm. changed from the first win to the second win? Other than the fact that you beat Tom Brady not once but twice. Yeah, it was it was so that second time it was like like pumped up, running around, <laughs> you know what I mean, celebrating. because uh, I knew what the initial feeling already was, you know, you know, was already like so, you know, but we just took all that one in. Like the first one, we just knew we was gonna be in that fight for our life. Undefeated Patriots. The second one, we we were like, you know, we we smashed them during the season mm-hmm. already. Good with this one. We got it. And that's what happened. And y'all just but, knew. Yeah, but like when I say smash, I don't mean like your score smash, but we brutally beat them every every series, every quarter, and people saw it. You know, Grant, the score was 21 something the first time we played them during the year, and it was the same, you know, you know, uh, thing like I think 21 17 in, in the uh, playoff, in the, you know, in the Super Bowl, but we still we won the game convincingly. You know, everybody can look at it and say, wow, the Giants really beat them, like up and down the field, like every time. So yeah. there's no doubt. Now you talk about beating that undefeated Patriots team. Did it was it more to you to just stop their historic run like that? Did you really feel like David versus Goliath to just beat that team and just take that away from them? Was it was it did it make it even more sweeter to beat them like that? You know when it initially felt like that when we played them in week seventeen, mm. 
David versus Goliath. These boys are 17 and 0. They're trying to go for a perfect 18 and 0 season. I mean, yeah. They, they, I know what you, I'm, doing, I'm tracking. Yeah, yeah. They're 15 and 0, trying to go 16 and 0. And uh, we stand in there week 17. You know, we had just made the playoffs against Buffalo the week before. You know, we like, all right, so what are we doing? Think TC going to play us? You think, you know, what y'all think he going to do? Well, that joke would say, strap up. Strap up. We can't take no break. Play. So his whole thing was they, they was going to be undefeated. But their players had been in the playoffs since week, you know, 11. You know, week 10, they, they clinched their playoff spot. You know, and their boys are still playing. Tom Brady's still playing. You know, Lars Maloney playing. Randy Moss is playing. You know, why not us? Why not play our guys? They played us and we almost beat them. And so, you know, so it just made it even better when it came down to Super Bowl. It was, hmm? Made it even better when it came down to the Super Bowl to finally get that dub. Made it down, it made it that much better because we didn't see him as Goliath the second time around. Mm. It wasn't Goliath coming around like it was the first time. You know, we were just going that thing, playing, having fun, like whatever happened, happened. Whatever happened, happened. Shit, we got to be out here playing and we ended up being, we ended up getting there. You know, we, we ended up taking that thing to, to the fourth quarter, the end of the fourth quarter, having a chance to win in the end. And guess what? You know, y'all got that shot. That gave us confidence going into the playoffs. You know what? Just have fun. Play the game. Don't be all uptight. Just, you know, just go play. And we went straight through and I saw him again. Now, you know, everybody talks about how great Tom Brady is. And mind you, I mean, he's a, he's a bad man, Majemma. But, and Eli always gets compared to his brother because of the sibling rivalry. But you were in the huddle with Eli Manning for quite some time. How good is Eli Manning? Because, you know, he's so mild-mannered, you know, He's man, he don't really say too much to the media. He's kind of that low, you know, he's very melancholy in certain situations. Who is Eli Manning? How good is he as a quarterback? What is something that we don't know about Eli Manning? Hey man, listen. Here we go. Easy E, my guy, man. I wouldn't trade him for the world. Um, Eli was a uh, he wasn't a boisterous uh like outward, like boisterous like that. You know, if he had to get loud or do something out there, he can do it, obviously. But um, he was a more, you know, he was a, a guy who led from, uh, you know, from a different position. You know, we looked at him as a leader because he was our quarterback. Mm-hmm. I'm saying he's our quarterback. That's the leader of our team. His demeanor and characteristics he had didn't denote him as that to us, we looked at him solely. He, man, he's an ER quarterback. They just get his. They grab. They draft this man number one overall. He could. He you know. Like he can play. It, it, he left room for others to be that boisterous, you know, loud guy like myself. You know, people like that. I had a chance to be, you know, the, the emotional leader of the team, and uh, and playing, you know, in the offense. You know, playing with Eli, you know, he, he just took care of his business. He took care of his business on the field. Um, he took care, of, you know, in the film room, learning what he had to do, figuring it out, putting countless hours in morning, noon, and night to figure the game out, man. And uh, kind of, he came into his own, I would say, that my, which was my third year in the leagues when he really showed that Super Bowl season is when he really showed that, you know, fighting, you know, the adversity and, and coming through things and you know our whole team that just had a whole new refreshed 
or and that it came that with, with him he opened up more he, he opened up more led voices a, a little bit more encouraged the teammates doing stuff like that and man we went to bat man we went to fighting for him like he had the ability he had a strong arm he had a strong arm he had the mind to convert routes into certain coverages put us in, in certain runs by looking at it okay we got a three technique we can't run uh inside zone here you know, we got to go to the other side and run into the shed, like stuff like that. Will put us in position, you know, pre, you know, predicated on with the defense. And the coverages give you, you know, changing routes, you know, on his helmet because he see a certain coverage twisting and rolling. Man, I mean, the, the dude had everything he needed. You know, was he a big old physical, muscular, you know, uh, pull it in, run, run the read option and running? No, nah, he wasn't that guy. You know, it took him four or five days to get 10 yards. (laughs) But he, you know, like that wasn't him. But, man, Eli is a a guy who can can orchestrate his defense. I mean, he can orchestrate his offense and pick his defense apart. You had an offensive coordinator on the sideline, Kevin Gilbride, who at that point he was just getting comfortable with because he gave Kevin the offensive coordinator job the year before, you know. And then things started being, you know, things got good with Coach Gilbride because he was an outgoing, cool coach, talked to everybody. So we trusted him. And Eli opened up a little more about communicating with him on a daily basis. And he opened up, you know, he just gave the media the side out like that. You know, but I think with Kevin Gilbride, man, he was the, uh, one of the big reasons. He asked me for a lot of Eli's success and, and, and you know, his personality opening up like that. And uh, him and Coach Sullivan, who was our quarterback's coach at the time. So basically, you guys got a chance to, to meet. The real Eli, even though he was not so boisterous to everybody else, he showed a different side. But he can definitely say he was a leader. I mean, you don't win two Super Bowls in this league by, by coincidence. It doesn't happen that way. Now, before we wrap this thing up, I, I can't help myself but to not ask this question. You don't punish a lot of people. You don't ran through a lot of people. Who's the one person you don't just literally, you don't lay down, but you just remember like, oh, yeah, I, I kind of killed that dude. Like that, that wasn't even fair. Oh man, so that came from that, that you know, that came from uh, you know, my best one, I think, is Brian Erlacher. I think that's my best one. You know, a lot of people don't see it. Everybody look at Ron Landry. They say, ah, that was like a freight train. Like I had a chance to show a little bit of quickness into exploding into Brian Erlacher when he wasn't ready for it. I okay. leaned back into him as he was in pursuit and he just went flying. You know, but that was like one of my favorite uh, uh, runs, you know, almost like that. So Brian Erlacher was your favorite run. Now, who was the guy that that, that came with it? And you was like, okay, okay, he actually he actually bringing something to the party. Well, I know every time we played against uh, that boy, uh, uh, Jeremiah Trotter with Philly, you had to be ready. You had, you had to be ready. Like Jeremiah Trotter sitting in there, something about like 6'2", you know, six foot. Six two, six one, somewhere around there, 254, 255 pounds, running real good, coming down here, playing the run. That boy was a beast, man. He came with something. He came, he bought, he bought, he came with it. Every time he came with it, bliss, bliss protection. He coming in that thing like, God, I gotta be ready every single time with him. That's what's every up. Time I gotta be ready with this dude, man. I can't take no plays off. I gotta be, I gotta be ready to explode into him every single time. Well, that's what's up. Now, last piece of advice. What would you tell the young athletes out there who are trying to get to where you have gotten to as what are the tools they need to make sure they possess to reach the levels you have reached and not only reach there, but to be able to stay there? Well, that's a, you know, 
making it to where I made it to the NFL. I'm gonna say I'm gonna, I'm gonna give y'all this. I'm gonna give y'all this. This, uh, this, this you know this little piece. I thought it was awfully easy to make it to the NFL. A lot of people make it to the NFL, right? You get so many late round draft picks. You get all the way like all 32 of these teams get also bring in like 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, free agents as well, rookie free agents. So they name on that roster. So they consider it as making it to the NFL. The toughest thing to do in the NFL is remain in the NFL. Keep your spots. Secure your spot because every year they bring somebody in to take you out. Every Tuesday during every season, they have tryouts. Mm. They have workouts for people coming in. They pick guys to come in and work out, and they pick them right then and there. They are always looking to replace you, so you got to be in your P's and Q's every time, every time. So, and if it's important enough to anybody who want to get there, you got to put the proper work in from right now to starting right now where you are. I don't give, I don't care if you're in the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh grade. If you're playing. And you want to make it this far, you need to start taking it serious right now. Mm. And, you need, and you need to put in the necessary work that's needed. And that's facts. And that leads me to my final timeout. For the final timeout, ladies and gentlemen, you heard what the man said. You got to have a mindset that you're going to stay determined on what you choose that you want to do. Everybody's going to always tell you what you need to do, but you have to determine what you're going to do. And to do that, you have to be strong mind, strong willed and be willing to go that extra mile. You want this goal. You got to start working. The work doesn't happen for you. Nobody's going to do it for you. You have to go after it and get what you want. You want to be the best then work like the best and the best don't take days off. The best don't take breaks. The people are always looking to replace you. There's always somebody trying to take what you have. But are you going to fight for it? Are you going to keep working towards it? And are you going to keep getting after it? And if you are, you can have it. And if you won't, somebody will take it. We like to thank our guest, Brandon Jacobs. Brandon, man, what can the people follow you if they want to follow? If they want to just see what you got going on, man, what can they follow you at, man? Man, I am on Instagram at uh, at NYG period TD period record 27. I know it's long, you know, but that's got you. Got you. I'm on. I'm also on Twitter at on Twitter as Brandon Jacobs twenty seven. On there, um, you can follow my. I run a youth program in North Atlanta Giants out here in Alpharetta, Georgia, at St. Francis High School. You know, you can that's North Atlanta Giants football on Instagram. Um, that man, you know, hey, it's not really, you know, I'm not, you know, I just try to do the right thing, man, and uh, and work and, and get it done, man. We, we getting ready to. Start preparing for our youth season that's coming up here and looking forward to it, man. Last year was a crazy year with COVID. We still got a chance to play, but, you know, we're coming right back up on another season right now. Well, look, we'd like to thank you for taking the time to join us. And for ladies and gentlemen, that's another episode of Hadrico Live in the books. Oh.